It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports football correspondent Alex Crook and Kevin Hatchard, the international football expert. Coming up, Michael Keane channels his inner Vincent company and cracks one in from 25 yards to lift Everton out of the bottom three. But it's same old, same old from sorry Spurs. Chelsea and Leicester begin life with a new manager. Leeds and Forest meet in another massive relegation six-pointer at Ellen Road. And we'll have a look at all the major issues affecting the Premier League teams on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Everton want to beat the drop. Spurs want to beat Newcastle or Manchester United and get into the top four. The ball's going to come back inside the box for Kane here, who turns, fires it goalwards. And between Keane and Pickford, they manage to stop a certain goal. Harry Kane is looking for uh, his 250th goal involvement. In the Premier League today, assists and uh, goals combined. Oh, there's a punch oh, by the Kure in the face of uh, Harry Kane. It's going to be a red card. Yeah, oh, do you know what? I'm going to go out on a whim. I'm absolutely disgusted by Harry Kane there. That's not enough to send him on the floor, embarrassing himself. Hoybier, who lifts it to the far post, headed down, looking for Romero, who goes down under pressure from Kane. It's penalty. Everton down to ten men. It's Kane who steps up, right footed, drills it into the right corner. Pickford goes the wrong way, and Tottenham Hotspur take the lead. Uh, Kane is challenged by Lucas Moura. Lucas Moura's got a straight red card. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a red card. Over the top of the ball, well on top of the ankle. Into the final minute. Keane strides forward into a shooting position. Right for oh! goal! Oh, yes, what a goal! What a thunderbolt from Michael Keane! Now, this is a team that don't know when they're beaten. Once again, they're going to drop points in the race for the top four. It could be crucial at the end of the season. 1-1. One, one. I went to Everton versus Spurs on Monday night. 1-1, high energy, high turnover, an uncultured throwback. But has a game ever been so entertaining with so little quality, Kev? Uh, yeah, it wasn't great, was it, to be honest? And uh, it was all about incidents, I guess. And I was just really quite stunned by the way that after Ducouré had been sent off, Spurs just didn't show any kind of cohesion at all didn't show any kind of plan and uh, you know you're not expecting a big sea change if you keep Stellini once Conte is gone and it was the same kind of tepid football from them Everton showed you know what we expect from them under Sean Dyche which is organization but also that those intangibles that will to get a result that fighting spirit the goal was outrageously good from Michael Keane. But again, it's Tottenham not doing the basics, not closing doors, not closing him down. And it was just a really, I mean, that will feel like a defeat for Tottenham. He gets to wander about 15 yards with the ball yeah. at his feet, right on the edge of the penalty area. Come on, lads, let's get out and at least engage with him. Um, are, Alex, are, um, are Tottenham a good bunch of players playing very badly? Not even sure they're a good bunch of players, um, to be honest. I think they probably are playing beneath their levels. They look like a team who've forgotten how to win. I think Conte has instilled that fear of losing so much into them that actually they're struggling to get games over the line against 10 men. Like they had to go on and win that game. They got the goal. But the way they sat so deep, the game management, the ridiculous challenge from Lucas Moura, the way they invited pressure, that suggests to me that the culture at Spurs is all wrong. But Kev's right. If you change one pragmatic underperforming manager for his pragmatic underperforming assistant, 
you aren't going to rewrite history. I can't see Spurs finishing the top four with Stellini. I don't think they've got a hope. No, 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 no. I mean, we spoke about this on the podcast when it first happened. I think we were all in London together, actually, the day after Conte had been sacked. And then I mentioned to you about the thing that troubles me so much about football clubs is the negligence that they, they've got in their, in their planning for succession. You know, it's galling to me that they spend so much money on making sure the players, these really expensive players that they spend £200,000 a week on, have the right sleep patterns. They make sure that they've got the perfect nutrition. They go, make sure they've got the first-class travel, the best facilities at the training ground. Then change the manager when they get into trouble and then put anyone in charge of these finely tuned assets. Now, that sounds like I'm being disrespectful to Stellini or to Bruno Salto, who's just taken over at Chelsea for the week. But it's not because they're good men and they've got coaching uh, pedigree. But they are not elite managers taking over elite football clubs. They're interim guys that have just been put in charge because the owners have made a decision and didn't think about the consequences of it. The thing is, is that there are still things to play for, for both Chelsea and for Tottenham Hotspur. So why would you not want an expert in charge? I mean... Openly, Bruno was going to a press conference this week and said, I've never picked a team before. You know you're playing Liverpool on Tuesday night, right? It's, it's baffling. Crazy. And I don't want to keep coming back to it. You know, you all accuse me of South Coast bias. But you look at Brighton. They weren't planning to lose Graham Potter when they did. And they still had a succession plan in place. Watford in the Championship. We may not like the fact they've got a revolving door of managers. But at least when they fire one manager you know that 10 minutes later, there'll be a statement announcing the next yeah, one. The janitor is never in charge at Watford. I mean, literally, there's not even time for someone to clear their desk before somebody else is moving in. They're sort of like high-fiving on the way past each other in the in the corridor, aren't they? That genuinely happened, by the way, with Roy Hodgson and um, with uh, Rob Edwards. <laughs> Rob Edwards walked in. Roy Hodgson was still leaving the building, which was very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at look at Bayern as well. I mean, for all the chaos around them and all the the politics and all the uh, the backbiting, actually, they had a very clear plan. Right, we think Nagelsmann's reached the end of the road. We've been talking to Tuchel anyway. Let's just get it done. And so Tuchel was pretty much hired before Nagelsmann had even got back from his skiing holiday. So it's that brutal approach where you go right this isn't working let's get another elite manager that not for a second would they have thought let's get rid of Nagelsmann and we'll put in Sembrud or Tuchmuller or something like that one of his assistants no way would that pattern at Bayern it looks amateur and you know you look at that we'll talk about Potter in more depth I'm sure but how bad would it really have been to have kept him for longer while you sorted it out in the background, while you line people up, you spoke to people, how bad would that exactly. really have been? Exactly. Why not just be professional? It doesn't look amateur. It is amateur. The truth is, is if you haven't got a succession plan in place, don't make it. And by the way, if you're Tottenham Hotspur, whose season is limping to a conclusion, and they are going to fall away in the race for the top four, because they haven't got the mentality that's required to get over the line. If you think that you're playing against 10 men, you're um, 1-0 up in a game away at Everton. They're in the bottom three, Everton. There's a reason for that. And you can't get over the line in that game. You have also can't get over the line in the Southampton game three weeks beforehand. You ain't got much of a chance of managing to get past other teams that are in your zone who are fighting with you to get into the top four. No chance. They ain't going to finish in the top four. It's not even worth a discussion. The truth is, is that they knew that Conte was going to leave. They must have known, unless they're really blind and stupid, because he knew, and he knew, and I knew, that he was coming to an end and he was talking himself out of a job. So if we all knew that he was talking himself out of a job and wanted to be replaced, and we said the same thing about Southampton earlier in the season when we knew Ralph was getting fired, but they hadn't set up a replacement, if we all know that it's happening, they must know that it's happening. So why aren't they doing their diligent job and getting someone to come in and take over so there's a seamless transition? It's absolutely ludicrous. There was a couple of big incidents in that game Monday night. We will talk about uh, Potter and, and Jurgen Klopp, who says, you know, actually, on reflection, maybe I should be sacked as well. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, the Harry Kane, Decore thing. Look, I think Decore's an idiot, right? He, there's no way you're ever getting away with doing that sort of half slap, half sort of fist in someone's face. That's not going to happen, right, Kev? Absolutely. You can't raise your hands. Sean Dyche admitted that afterwards. It was a really stupid thing to do. 
And it always amazes me when players do it because they know that the next thing's going to be them walking off the field. So I, I thought that was ridiculous. Kane's reaction of, of what uh, it's really difficult one because to take you off your feet. Uh, and, uh, not look, difficult. It it's embarrassing, it Kev. It's it didn't not difficult. happened to me. So I don't know exactly what he felt. But it didn't look great. Come off because it, Crook. I'm sorry. You cannot relate to this. You've got no upper body strength. Literally, <laughs> someone touches you at the top half of your body. You topple over like a like one of those egg cups. It, you, you know that. You know maybe that's the, the situation with Harry Kane. He didn't need to go down because Kev's right. Sean Dyche is right. As soon as you raise your hands to someone's face, if you make contact, it doesn't matter if the opponent goes to the ground or not. You are going to get sent off. What Kane did with his theatrical reaction. He just made sure there was no doubt about that red card. I didn't think it was behaviour befitting of the England captain. If it was Mo Salah reacting like that, he would have got absolute pelters. Oh, he did get pelters. If you're listening to Talk Sport, Danny, Danny Murphy was going mad. Danny, he was like, I just can't understand why he's done that. It's cheating. It's trying to get someone sent off. The guy's getting sent off anyway. You don't need to do that. There'll be kids watching this, looking at the England captain and thinking it's okay to yeah. go down. And we sort of had this conversation before about how kids get influenced by it. My kid this morning, I was watching it back and I was showing him, look, you know, but he's gone down a bit too easily. And he said to me, yeah, but sometimes, Dad, someone hits you in the face, you do go on the floor. And I was like, that, that's because it's Harry Kane. And, and as far as he's concerned, Harry Kane's the England captain and he can do no wrong. Who's hitting him in the face would be my worry. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, oh, Sam rolls with an iron fist. <laughs> <laughs> But I, look, I, I think he was talking about playing football. Yes, good, good. Um, look, I, I think there's that little delay, right? And if all he has to do is walk away from the incident holding his face and talk to... You've got VAR. Just trust in VAR anyway. There's no need to... Oh, yeah, because they're going to do that, Kev. Well, yeah. That, that's the <laughs> idealist in me talking, truth be told. But, uh, yeah, it was unedifying. Uh, it really was. Because he was going to get sent off yeah, regardless. Didn't need to do it. Wasn't as stupid as Lucas Moura, though, was oh, it, Crook? Oh, man alive. Wow. Well, again, that, that, that sums up the, the rudderlessness of Spurs. You've got a player there who probably should have been get let go last summer, definitely should have been let go in January, will be let go when his contract expires at the end of the season. I think that tackle was probably all of his frustration, the fact he's still a Spurs player coming out. And ultimately, <laughs> it did cost them because that really gave Everton the momentum. You have to say Spurs have put themselves under the cosh anyway, but that was a key turning point in the game. Uh, I spoke to Christian Stellini after the game and they used this clip on uh, the sports bar repeatedly uh, in which he says, I thought we played a good game. Was a, was a good game. We played a good game. What? Was a, was a good game. We played a good game. Sorry, fella. What was that you said? Played a good game. I actually had to go back at him and say, yeah, yeah, but aren't you not a little bit concerned that you've dropped points at Everton and, and dropped points at, at Southampton in quick succession and you know, you're, you are in a race for the top four? He went, oh, yeah, well, we, we've got to get a little bit better at keeping the ball. They were playing out from the back, right, um, and getting pressed within an inch of their life by Everton. I thought Everton were really good, by the way. They need a lot of credit for the fact that a, this group of players have really embraced what Sean Dyche has asked them to do. But also, they played football. They didn't just kick it long. Yes, they they played 20% of their passes long now, which is a 5% increase onto what they were doing earlier. So there's a slight change of approach. But they also play short, sharp passes as well. And they did that. And they outplayed Tottenham for large parts of that game, even when down to 10 men. Tottenham's response to Everton going down to 10 men was so poor. They sat deep. They continue with three at the back. Surely you take a central defender off, add another body into midfield, dominate the game and take it to the home side and make sure you get the job done. But they're so pragmatic. They're so negative and they're so dull to watch. And, you know, I think what Crook said earlier on, they're a little bit frightened of losing. Well, it's about patterns. And I think it's about the patterns that Conte's drilled into them time after time after time and they can't get out of it and it's not going to help them get out of it to have the guy who was reinforcing those messages you know just a, a few weeks ago so look, actually they did, bonkers they it's did really well bonkers. yeah it is they did really well to finish is, top four last season so you know that that is there and they they did brilliantly i think to finish above arsenal last season they were four. lucky last season yeah, but they you're still going to have that season. consistency to finish above them. Uh, and, you know, to do yeah, that was impressive. Agreed. However, you know, that Tottenham result, was that their Milan result was horrendous. 
genuinely one of the worst performances I've ever seen at that level. Uh, I was gobsmacked by how bad they were. And they don't seem to be able to break out of that that pattern. And they don't have a player with an X factor. They have Son, but he's broken. Somebody's broken him. He needs to go back to the shop and needs kind of rebuilding. (laughs) And then we'll have the real Son that we love back. Because they don't have to see what shop that would be, Kev. Sorry? Be interesting to see what shop that would be. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. The, the, the kind of cyborg footballer shop in my mind. Too much sci-fi, I think. <laughs> I've been watching. You've been watching that, too much Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. That, the Mandalorian series is ser- it, it, it has been engulfing your life. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I can't deny that. But Kulusevsky as well seems to have had all the joy and unpredictability drained out of him as well. They don't have mavericks. They don't have off-the-cuff people. And all you've got left is the structure. Uh, and at the moment, they're trapped in it and they can't break out of it. They'll lose to Brighton at the weekend. Of course they will. Crikey. I mean, Brighton will smash them up. But there again is somebody who, you know, he has patterns, he has a way of playing, Deserbi, but he also allows guys like Mitoma a certain amount of leeway so they can just go and do their thing. Um, Solly Marsh, the, 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 the change in him is beyond belief. And, you know, he's doing, you know, those kind of one-on-one things that Tottenham seem to have trained out of their players. So, yes, Brighton mm. have a system it- and a way of playing, but there is, you know, a freedom to it. Well, it's about balance, isn't it? It's about yeah. everything in, in, in management. It's about balance. It's about having that personality where you come across as an affable guy, but still have the ruthlessness to make the key decisions. It's about uh, having a structure so that when you have a problem, you fall back on your structure to get you out of an issue, but having the freedom to express yourself so that when the game allows, you can make something happen to give you an extra edge. Everything is about balance. No matter what you're doing in life, you've got to have that balance between pragmatism and uh, adventure. Otherwise, you're not really going anywhere. Okay, Chelsea and Leicester both sacked their managers in midweek, taking the total number of sackings to 12 this season. Both sides back in Premier League action this midweek. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. nil Aston Villa to Aston Villa Mount more misery on Graham Potter booze around Stamford Bridge at the full-time whistle Chelsea have sacked manager Graham Potter after less than seven months in charge following Saturday's 2-0 home defeat by Aston Villa I could not tell you what Potter's preferred tactics yeah first choice was players want to be playing and you develop relationships you know over four five six seven eight games and that never happened, unfortunately. Some of the decisions he made at the weekend, uh, I can't fathom out what he was trying to do in the end. So in the end, obviously, the owners thought the same thing. We'd have to get rid of the guy. Think about your own thinking. You're in a great job at Brighton. A wonderful job comes over to Horizon, but with a new ownership model that doesn't understand football. There was always this jeopardy. Everybody sees 
talk to me about Chelsea and Graham Potter. It was the right decision, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You, to be fair, you've been uh, you've been fairly steadfast on this uh, on social media and on Talk Sport. I'm a big fan of Graham Potter. I like him as a person. I like the body of work at Brighton. I think Brighton wouldn't be doing what they were doing now under Roberto De Zerbi had Graham Potter not put those building blocks in place. But Chelsea just looked like too big a step. I think a lot has gone against him. They've signed too many players. It's impossible for any manager to operate when you've got players having to change in the corridor and you've got too many players to play a standard 11-a-side match in training. I think Egg Barley, from what I'm told, one of the co-owners, is maybe a bit too hands-on in terms of the frequency of his trips to the training ground. I think you've got Paul Wynne-Stanley, um, who was maybe doing bits behind the scenes that didn't help Graham Potter. So the whole recipe was wrong. And actually, if I was a Chelsea fan, I know there's been talk of Nagelsmann, Pochettino, Sam, you understand, would be interested in speaking to them as well. They like Luis Enrique. But whoever comes in are going to face the same issues that Graham Potter did unless they can look at the structure of the football club and actually run it properly and, and take some of these cooks away. Yeah, and, and that's true. I did uh, get a little bit of contact through the uh, the, the Pochettino thing and um, he, he would be interested in, in having a conversation about it, but there are other issues at play before he would agree to do it. I think he's he's a manager that wants to get back in. He hasn't had any contact from them. They certainly were interested before they appointed Graham Potter but decided to go down the, the Potter route. But you're right about the structure because Graham Potter didn't, have the ability to handle the structure. We'll come back to him in just a second. But for an example as to how muddled the thinking is at Chelsea, I give you one name and one name only, Hakim Ziyech. On the night of the transfer window closing, he was in Paris. Chelsea were trying to sell him. It messed up and everyone was really annoyed about it. Now, he had started the two games prior to the transfer window closing and he started three of the four games after the transfer window had closed. So it begs the question, if he was vital to Graham Potter, and bearing in mind Graham Potter changed his team 80 times over the course of the season, right? and there was a lot of changes, yet Hakim Ziyech has played quite a lot. So if he's integral to Chelsea and Graham Potter, why are they trying to sell him? If he's not integral to Chelsea and he's available for sale, why are you playing him? Not necessarily before, but after the transfer window, why are you playing him? And if he's not integral to Graham Potter's plans and you've got the opportunity to get rid of him to Paris, why haven't you just made sure that that has happened? That whole scenario to me shows you that the top are not talking to the dugout. And as a result of that, there is sort of some muddled structure that hasn't quite worked. I mean, two directors of football, two sporting directors, Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynne Stanley. Why? Why is there a need for two? Could you not make up which, which you wanted? Could you not get the one you wanted so you got two that you thought might help you out? What, I don't really understand that. There's another guy from Brighton who's part of the recruitment team as well. So, you know, it's, it's very strange. But I don't think he was ruthless enough, Kev, to be an elite manager at the top level. When you look at Pep, you look at Klopp, you look at Arteta, Pep in particular, he doesn't care about personalities doesn't care about Jao Cancelo. You ain't doing what I'm asking you to do. You're out, man. You know, Graham Potter didn't have that. Didn't have that aura, that strength, that ruthlessness to make those big decisions. And he didn't have that, that sort of need. And he may get it over the course of his, his period as a manager going forward because his tactical theory is fine. But you have to win. You have to win. You have to want to win. Did he really want to win enough? I'm not sure. He was set up to fail. Is the truth of it, or certainly wasn't set up to win, because you have a situation where he was brought in. Well, well, look, let's take it all the way back first. They had one of the elite coaches in world football, and their hubris saw them fail to find a way of working with him. You know he's going to be demanding. You know he's going to be intense, Thomas Tuchel. You know that it's it's not always going to be easy. There are going to be hard conversations. If you repeatedly say to him, Cristiano Ronaldo would be a good idea, and he shuts the door and says, please leave, um, you know, that is going to be difficult. But you deal with it because you know he's a guy who wins. And he was... And right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and completely right in that scenario. And it's really interesting to me the interviews he has given 
I was in Munich on Saturday for the Classica and heard him giving interviews. And he was saying, you know, that people were asking him about Chelsea. And he said, look, Chelsea is a very different club now to the one that I was at. What he means is it was run a certain way under Abramovich. He was doing well. He won the Champions League with them and he wanted to carry on in that vein. And now it's a completely different Chelsea that he doesn't recognise. But he wanted to stay. Make no mistake about that. He wanted to stay. So there's your first failure. Then you make a big fuss about bringing in a long-term coach who can develop young talent. He doesn't get a pre-season. Then you bring in a ton of players mid-season. You've already brought in players before the season that haven't really worked. Raheem Sterling, Kaladu Koulibaly. Where was the plan there? Where was the, What was the idea there? If they brought in youngsters from the get-go, I can understand that. But it was almost like they had a false start that cost them a fortune. And then they pivoted to this idea of young players. So he hasn't had a pre-season. He's got a ton of players. They can't even fit them all in team meetings. They can't even... There's so many players there. And that's just a recipe for disaster because half of them don't play and get angry with the manager. Mm. So look, we'll never have known if it could have worked. I would have kept him for longer because I don't understand this promote Bruno and sail to the end of the season in chaos. What's the point? What's the point? Keep him in post. There's no point. There's absolutely no yeah. point. You should have kept him till the Completely. end of the season because there's nothing to play for anyway. They ain't going to beat Real Madrid. So just, you know, you might as well just limp to the end of the season and then get somebody else in. Unless unless they've already organised for Nagelsmann to come in, which I don't think they have, by the way, um, then, then there's no point in doing it just yet. Just one more little story as well, you know, that sums up the, the chaos and, and the different egos that are at play. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, obviously left out of the Champions League squad, hasn't been featuring the Premier League, despite the fact that Chelsea clearly lack a number nine. Whether you think Aubameyang is top quality anymore or not, he is a number nine. I've been told by a couple of sources that the reason he's not playing, actually, is, is not because he's been a bad egg in training. It's because of his links with Thomas Tuchel and that egg barley doesn't want Aubameyang anywhere near the first team because he's seen as Tuchel's man. Well, that's ridiculous because Graham Potter's got to stand up and turn around and say, excuse me, fella, if you want me to run this football club, I've got to be able to pick from the resources that I've got, right? Because Absolutely. Probably, probably no sense to your forward. point about him possibly not being strong enough for the position. He's got to make sure that he gets the best out of him. He's got to do everything to get the best out of Pierre-Emerick or Aubameyang because... Whether you think he's the long-term answer or the short-term answer or not the answer at all, he actually is the only answer at this point in time. So you've got to get something out of him. However you do it, you've got to just say to whoever's above you, look, totally get your point. And at the end of the season, we'll get rid of him. We'll put him over here. But we need him now because if we don't, if we don't use him now, we're not going to get any goals. We're not going to have any focal point to our team. And we desperately, desperately need that. But, you know, that, that didn't happen. And that, it's just one of the many things that didn't happen. And I think that there's definite culpability on the side of the board. There's no doubt that the board have played a massive role in the fact that they're so sort of scattergun. I, listen, Crook will take you back to the summer. And I described the transfer policy as just that when we were on the radio filling in for White and Jordan. Um, because it was, it was scattergun. Um, and they've done nothing to alleviate those fears up until this point. You know, the idea of Bruno, with all due respect, taking charge of the team seems ludicrous to me. But let's hear what he had to say. Obviously, it's a massive challenge. Uh, I've been just four years coaching, but I've been 24 years involved in football. Start really early. And he's, I've got a lot of experience in, in changing rooms. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is uh, help players, guide them players, because I've been in, the, in those situations before. And then I think I've got as well that feeling uh, that I can help, especially young players that probably they've never been in that situation before. And ludicrous to me, not because he's not a nice guy, right? Because if you've ever met Bruno, Bruno, he's one of the nicest guys in football, right? Really guy, really good guy. Like vegan guy who's got loads of ideas about nutrition and fitness. And he's got uh, a really sensible brain. He's a, he's a very good articulate speaker. But as he said, I've never picked a team before, so... Why would you do? Why would you put someone in charge who, who's never done that before? It just, just, I think it's out of order putting him in that position. To be honest with you, talk to me about Liverpool. Week to forget, Kev. Yeah, horrible, uh, really, and just a continuation of the same themes. Really, a lack of intensity, a lack of energy. I thought the start of the game at City pretty well, but just couldn't deal with the movement tactically. I thought Pep Guardiola got it spot on. 
And the whole thing with Liverpool in the last few years has been based on this idea that they press as a team, they have that incredible energy that other teams can't live with. And for a variety of reasons, that has disappeared. And Jurgen Klopp's tried a few different things. They haven't worked. And it does feel like a team, unfortunately, treading water until next season. But it's going to have a knock-on effect, you would think, on the business they can do in the summer. He knows there's a rebuild necessary. I do believe he's the right man to oversee that. I think there there is sometimes a problem with the message not getting through after a certain amount of time. And you have to find a way of renewing that message and rebuilding the team. But I think they have made steps. Nunez coming in, I think, is important. Cody Gakpo coming in, I think, is important. I think them getting games with their teammates, I think, is is a good step. So I'm not completely despairing about them, but it is alarming how those defensive issues just haven't been solved at all. Has he admitted that he's under pressure this week by turning around in that press conference and saying, look, you, know, you look at Chelsea, you look at Leicester, you look at Tottenham, you know, I've won five games in 17 matches. The only surprise here is that I'm still sitting here. Well, his record is not much better than Potter's uh, when you break it down to that. But the difference is he's got the credit in the bank. He's got the Champions League win. He's got the Premier League title win. This yeah. is an extraordinary... And you trust him to rebuild it. Yeah, this is an extraordinarily poor season for Liverpool. There is going to be a rebuild. I do think the powers that be have a decision to make. They need to look at Jurgen Klopp and think, has he got the energy? Has he got the desire? Is he the right man to oversee this rebuild? Or has this Jurgen Klopp project run its course? Because we know players can get bored of hearing the same voice in the dressing room. Managers can get tired of being at the same football club. So... I do think those discussions will be being had. It would be naive, even with what Jurgen Klopp has done for Liverpool, to think those conversations wouldn't be taking place. The, the, the only thing I'll say about that is, is the answer to the question is, yes, he is the man to do it. The answer to the question is, does he have the energy? Yes, he does have the energy to do it. Does he have the intellect and the ability to do it? The answer are, yes, 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 keep him. The thing that worries me about Liverpool is what's happening behind the scenes in mm. terms of the changing of sporting directors and people that are getting involved now uh, at just in that sort of half position between the board and the manager in the recruitment committee and the relationship that he, that Jurgen Klopp has with them and the, the new CEO. Because he had a good relationship with the previous guy, the managing director, but it, it's not the same now. It's slightly different now. Um, so that they're the only things that would be a question mark for me. Ken. Yeah, and I think... Just going back to Crookie's point about energy and, you know, has he got the will to take it forward? I think he would make that decision before they would. Uh, I think he's Agreed. been very honest yeah. about that, that the only time I would walk away is if I don't feel that I want to do this anymore. I don't feel I'm being 100% fair to the football club. And I think he's, I do believe him in that regard. I do think he's an honourable man in that way. And it was painful when he left Dortmund. He's been at pains to stress it's not the same thing. I kind of agree with him, really. I think we've got to remember this is, in terms of domestic club football outside the Champions League, this is as tough as it gets. Look at all the quality at the top of the Premier League. If you're even... Oh, it's crazy. You know, so they can't all finish top four. And Exactly. And you've got to accept this, haven't you, yeah. Kev? You've got to understand this going forward. Clubs have got to understand that you're not going to win the Premier League every year. You're not even going to finish in the top four every single year. Sometimes you are going to miss out, by the way. That is going to happen because Tottenham, Newcastle, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Liverpool can't all get into the top four. They can't even all get into the European places. So there are going to be occasions where people drop out and you're just going to have to accept that that's the case. And you've got to trust in the guy who's in charge to keep the evolution going of the team in order to make sure that you are consistently competitive. Yeah, and I think th this summer's crucial. We know about their desire to try and sign Jude Bellingham. That's still up in the air. I know that Dortmund still haven't given up completely on getting him to sign a new deal. There are lots of other clubs interested. You can't hang your entire stra transfer strategy on trying to bring Jude in. No. It, it has to be about more than that. And again, that comes back to the Chelsea thing. You've got to have you know, a succession plan with managers, with Liverpool, they've got to have lots of different options. And they, they've been generally pretty good at that. But of course, losing Edwards and then Julian Ward walking out the door 
you know, in, you know, not staying long term. That that's a concern. Yeah, I think strange. you're absolutely right in terms of the recruitment. So they've got to get that right. It's a massive summer for them. There are players like Naby Keita, like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, who haven't worked out who are going to move on. And you would hope that with a, a full preseason, some great players in, Liverpool can re-energize themselves. But you know, there's no guarantees. It's absolutely no guarantees. Look at Arsenal. They were bottom not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And they stuck with it and they got rid of players they needed <laughs> 18 to months get rid ago. of. And they brought in the right ones. This is where I think Chelsea, I know we've, we've talked about Chelsea, but just a quick one on them again. This is where I think they've completely failed, completely and utterly failed because their idea was, right, we don't do boom and bust like Abramovich did. Yes, it won a ton of trophies, but we don't do that. We're long-term people. We're going to bring in all these young players on six million-year contracts, and we're going to develop them, and that's the plan. They failed at the first hurdle because the first real sign of trouble where they had to take their medicine and would have missed out on the Champions League, maybe missed out on Europe entirely, they've got rid of him. Now, I can understand he's maybe too nice and he wasn't big enough, but give him time. Give him the pre-season. And then boot him if you... But no one trusted him. That's, that's the problem. The, that's no one the trusted issue. him. The fans Other didn't trust him. The players didn't that. trust him. Other coaches will look at that and think, well, I haven't and, changed and at all. You've, you've got to trust in someone who's coming in. And I think it's got to be someone who's done it before and who's been a big personality and it's who people immediately have to respect. And I think, I don't know who that is. I actually think you're probably better off getting someone who, who isn't Nagelsmann because I don't think that he is going to do exactly what he's told. In terms of you know he's going to put up a fight, yeah, isn't he? He's going to he's going to want 100%. this and want that, and I'm not sure that he's so with Luis Enrique. He's going to he's he's just yeah Luis Enrique. But at least with Luis Enrique, right? You sort of he, he comes in and commands a sort of level of respect. The problem with Julian Nagelsmann doesn't matter, and then this is really out of order what I'm about to say here, by the way. Doesn't matter what his success has been in the for, before. He still looks like Doogie Howser, right? So he he still. He's still like 14 in comparison to every other manager that's out there. So Boley, Egbali, whoever else is in charge is going to think in their back of their mind, right, that they can still, you know, they can still tell him what to do. They can yeah, boss him around a little bit. And whoever comes in, uh, yeah, well, good luck with that. Yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. not going to work because no one can boss him around. He actually is his own boss. But because he looks a little bit young and he is only about 15, there, there, there is going to be that feeling. Whereas I think if you get someone who's a little bit more established, it might command a little bit of respect from those guys. And they might actually realise that, hey, you know, we've got to show a little bit of respect to these football people that know the game better than us. Because guess what? Before we got here, we used to work in baseball and in finance. We don't really know much about this game. And it is a more intricate business than maybe we gave it credit for. We thought we could come in and do the LA Dodgers here. But they didn't respect Tuchel. It. Anyway, Tuchel's let's move on from Chelsea. Record, because, they didn't respect uh, him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, okay, so then they're just ruined. <laughs> um, right, just give up now. Um, right, okay, let's talk about Leicester because they've changed their manager as well. Uh, Crook, um, was there any other way out here? <sighs> Probably not. You know, and I've been battered on social media for seemingly defending Brendan Rodgers. I feel like the board here are it's culpable. you go golfing with him though, right? Isn't he one of your golf mates? <laughs> I feel like the board are culpable as well. You know, I think the lack of investment, the signings they've made, but ultimately I think Brendan Rodgers has had a lot of power in terms of the players that have come through the door of the football club. So he has to accept responsibility. I just think some of the vitriol that's been aimed at Brendan Rodgers from a minority of Leicester fans, given that he won the FA Cup, given that twice they almost qualify for the Champions League, I think is a little bit unfair. But I guess the past... Hold on, you had a go at him for falling out of the Champions League places on the last day of each of those seasons. You gave him a bit of stick for that as well. Yeah, that was in the here and now. But I think if you look back at the job he's done now that he's gone, you, you have to say he probably punched above his weight Massively. by getting them as close. Okay, so now you're being captain hindsight, right? You're being to, captain hindsight. To the Champions League. Um, but... I saw, again, a tweet on social media which probably hit the nail on the head. The past shouldn't determine the decisions you make in the future. The 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 present shouldn't detract from what's happened in the past. I think it was the right time for a parting of the ways. Do I think it will keep Leicester okay. in the Premier League? I'm not convinced by that no. because I think it's probably come a no. few weeks too late. 
I agree with you. And data, I've been going through the data like a right saddo and looking at all of the uh, the managerial sackings. Over the last 14 seasons, 46 relegation-threatened teams made a change when the club was in danger. 24 of them survived, which is just over half, right? Um, but look at the data carefully and you realise that when they change late, it's a different matter. So Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, in March, they changed it, relegated. Nigel Pearson at Watford, like two games before the end of the season in July, um, relegated. Sean Dyche at Burnley, sacked on April the 15th, relegated. Ranieri, late February, the last day in February, 28th of February, sacked, relegated. Uh, West Brom sacked Alan Pardew on April 2018, relegated. Bielsa, Leeds, sacked in February, the really late in February, but survived on the last day. Bit of an anomaly. Same as Pellegrino, who was sacked in March 2018, went in the relegation zone, and, uh, but the survived under Mark Hughes. But two other clubs during that period sacked their managers that season, were in the bottom three just after Christmas, and went down, Stoke and Swansea. So it suggests that your form is already baked in if you make a decision this late. Yeah, I, I think I'm surprised that they've let it go on as long as it has. I, I do think with him, I know we talked about being able to somehow renew the message um, uh, with Jurgen Klopp, and I think he can do that, but it became increasingly clear that Brendan Rodgers couldn't, and those players weren't responding in the way that they should be. But I think if you look at his tenure, it's remarkable, remarkable what he was able to achieve with that football club. We've taken the mick out of Crook for getting a load of rubbish on social media, but I think we all sit here in the cold light of day and we can say, Brendan Rodgers won the FA Cup at Leicester. He took them into Europe twice. It's two of their three highest finishes in their entire history. He's a brilliant yeah. coach. He's actually a very good man manager. And maybe it just ran its course because I think he came in with this idea about where he was going to take them. The money ran out because, you know, they're in duty free. There was a pandemic, you know, they didn't spend anything as a result of that. And he ended up getting a completely different club than the one that he thought he was taking. Yeah, over. once the once that investment wasn't coming in anymore, it makes that job incredibly difficult. And you've effectively got a, a group of players that maybe thought, you see this quite a lot sometimes, a group of players that expected the season to go one way. And then when it didn't, they're very slow to react. And you wonder sometimes with a group of players, are they actually taking it seriously enough that you could go down? I would just wonder sometimes, not just with Leicester, you see this a lot, where there's some groups of players who thought they'd push for Europe or thought they'd be top half, and suddenly that goes against them, and they're a bit slow on the uptake as a group in terms of, oh, wow, we could actually go here. And just that seriousness is a bit too late in coming. And I wonder if this is a bit of a panic move. But again, have they got a plan in place? You know, we'll find that out in the fullness of time. But if they haven't, yeah. why move now? And it's bizarre. Well, they haven't because Crook breaks a story on uh, Monday afternoon in which they say they've approached Graham Potter um, and Crook knows that they've spoken to Graham Potter's agents just to sound out whether or not he's a, a possible candidate. That means they can't have had a plan because they sacked Rogers before Potter was sacked, so they didn't know. And two, they're now saying they haven't approached anyone, so they're admitting they haven't got a plan. Yeah, they're trying to dig themselves out of the, uh, the hole from Graham Potter's immediate reject. Rejection. I understand the timing between uh, Graham Potter being dismissed by Chelsea and the call from Leicester to his representatives as being incredibly short. Uh, listen, on one hand, you could praise them for trying to be proactive and reactive, but highly unlikely that a manager who's just been sacked from one job is going to give you a, a positive answer uh, literally a few minutes later. Potter will take some time out. I think that's the right decision for him. I think it'll be very sought after come the summer. Crystal Palace will be looking for a new manager. They've liked him in the past. Still wouldn't completely rule out Tottenham. Daniel Levy uh, certainly tried to prize him away from Brighton uh, as well. Uh, then you look at the Leicester situation. If they stay up with a caretaking manager, maybe those conversations can be had once more. But you're right, they didn't have a plan. Uh, noises coming out of Spain that Rafa Benitez would be interested in the job. I personally think if they can get something from this game against Villa um, on the TalkSport network in midweek and then they get a positive result against Bournemouth, they might just leave the caretakers in charge. And again, his history tells us that doesn't often work out positively either. You mentioned... 
You mentioned Rafa Benitez, right? Rafa Benitez has been in for every job in the Premier League. Uh, all 12 of the ones that have changed hands this season, Rafa Benitez has stuck his hand up and said, I'll take it, I'll take it, because he's desperate to get back in. So the noises you hear out of Spain is Rafa saying, pick me, pick me. Um, look, I don't think Brendan helped himself with some of the decisions that he made. I don't think that he uh, and, the, and the players at the end were getting on as well as maybe... Um, you would have hoped, but also the idea that they aren't in a relegation battle, which was one of the claims from James Madison a couple of weeks ago, has been torpedoed by the fact that the ownership certainly do believe that they're in a relegation battle, which is why they've made the change that they had. By the way, they're, they're second from bottom of the Premier League as we go into the start of this week. Uh, Leeds against Forest is a massive game live on TalkSport 2 uh, on Tuesday night, and Bournemouth against Brighton is on the uh, TalkSport app. That's a, another big game for Brighton, who looks if they're charging towards uh, the European places. Although, you know, Bournemouth have played very well. I thought they did excellently in the second half on Saturday. The two substitutions that uh, Gary O'Neill made at the start of the second half turned the tide in that match because they were getting overrun by Fulham in the first uh, part of that match. Uh, let's turn our attention to Wednesday night. Two more big games for you live on TalkSport, including Manchester United, who are falling out of form at just the wrong time. Manchester United against Brentford live on TalkSport Wednesday night, 8 o'clock kickoff. Since they lifted the Carabao Cup, Manchester United haven't scored a goal in the Premier League. They've conceded nine in that time. Is this the Glazers' fault, Crook? <laughs> you know, I think it is because of a lack of investment in January uh, that is now catching up on them. They need to get Ericsson back. They need Casemiro back from suspension. They really miss Wambasaka in the game against Newcastle, up against San Maximan, down that right-hand side. It, it looks a tired team to me. It looks like a, a group of players who've played more games than anybody else in Europe's top five major leagues. And you know what? I've done quite a lot of research into this game. Uh, Brentford, one defeat in their last 16 matches. They've got a decent record away from home against the top sides as well. They obviously drew at Arsenal, won at Manchester City. I think this is a really difficult game for Manchester United. If they do win it, it won't be comfortable. I could easily see Brentford coming away with a positive result. Um, it's really interesting that Crook has admitted for the first time this season that he's actually done a lot of research for a game. That's good. Progress. Well done. Uh, we've only been previewing all the other matches over the course of the season as well. Um, uh, it was a little bit um, insipid, I thought, the performance on Sunday afternoon against Newcastle United. They looked lethargic to me and they relied heavily on David De Gea because if he hadn't made a terrific save in the second half and actually won in the first as well, then they would have lost that game three or four nil against. Yeah, Newcastle touching that again. ball onto the bar was unbelievable. I mean, that's a classic De Gea save, oh, isn't brilliant. it? I mean, it's crazy, like the saves that he pulls out time and time again. Matrix yeah, reflexes, uh, uh, extraordinary. However, yeah, in general, really tepid. Uh, Newcastle swarmed all over them. The midfield was the biggest issue, and uh, you know, I wasn't sure yeah. about. I couldn't understand Fernandez's position. It, it, Strange, really. It, it, I think it is alarming, understandable, but alarming how much they drop off when Casemiro's not there and Crook has mentioned it. Obviously, they've had Ericsson out for quite a long time now. But it is Manchester United. There should be more depth than that. The whole thing shouldn't fall apart mm. if Casemiro's not there. Yeah, but also Eric Ten Hag has got to put his hands up and say, yes. I picked the wrong team because a couple 100%. of times now, actually, you, you look at the, the Liverpool uh, game where the, the formation is wrong in, in that match. And you look at this match here where you've got two sort of creative midfield players playing in central midfield positions. You've got Scott McTominay playing higher up. And actually, that, that is their undoing because one of the things that Newcastle have done really well, and we mentioned this, Crook, during the uh, preview podcast on Friday, that midfield area was going to be incredibly important and ultimately Newcastle dominated it. Yeah, I think it was a mistake. I wouldn't want to see McTominay and Sabitzer paired together on too many more occasions. I think they both have individual merits, actually. McTominay gets an awful lot of stick from Manchester United fans, but I don't think he's as bad as player as some make out. I would expect Fred to start this game to bring that energy, but I don't think enough has been made of Christian Eriksen's absence following that really awful tackle from Andy Carroll, which actually could have completely... Is that derailed. the Glazers' fault or is that... Is, is that, is that well, it's Andy, Andy Carroll's fault. fault. Liverpool thug getting his own back. Um, but, you know, that could have completely derailed um, <laughs> Manchester United's season. 
it hasn't because they've managed to grind out victories. But their performances without Ericsson have been far worse than with Ericsson in the team. I think we can all agree on that. So, so those performances, are they the Glazers' thought? <laughs> Again, they didn't... Listen, they needed a proper centre-forward in, in January. Who? Sabitzer was a panic Who? signing on the last day of the transfer window. Right. Which one? Someone said this. Trevor Sinclair came out with this to me on uh, social media the other day. Uh, basically, when he was trying to uh, moan about the fact that Graham Potter hadn't been backed... Um, he said to me, if Graham Potter had been back, he would have got him a, a centre-forward in the January transfer window. And I said, well, which one's that? I suppose the only one you might have gone for is you might have tried to test out Gladbach because they knew that Turan was going at the end of the season. So you might have gone to them and said, here you go. Was he Felix? Proper centre-forward, though, Turan? Is he a yeah, he has been this forward? season. Total and out, yeah, number nine? Yeah, he has nine? been this season. This season he has yeah, been. Yeah, but I... But he's, he, doesn't, he hasn't played there over no, the course of his true. career. He's developing into but that, I isn't he? I think with the pace and the... The energy he has. And he's got good striker's instincts, actually. I've been quite impressed this season with how he's played through the middle. I think he would have been mm. fine. Um, Joao Felix, yeah, but they missed out on him. So that was a, an error, but that's obviously a personal choice uh, from him as well. I, I, I just don't think, if you're scrabbling around in January, it's not a very easy thing to do. And Zabitz is fine. The, the, there's no problem bringing him in. And he can play that more defensive role. He played that a lot of Leipzig. Nagelsmann changed him into a into a number six and it worked pretty well. But he needed that structure around him and he didn't have it. And he didn't play well, admittedly. But also Newcastle were very good. I mean, we can talk about Manchester United's failings and of that there were many. I thought Newcastle were brilliant. Isaac was outrageously good. Outrageously good. Isaac. How good is Isaac? Just... How good is Isaac? You love him. You love Who him. Who would have seen that coming, Crook? Who would have seen that coming? The same, the same bloke who said Nottingham Forest to be safe by now, I think. I didn't say they'll be safe by now. Never said that once. I said they would be safe at the end of the season, and the end of the season <laughs> is not upon us yet. So just I, stay, it was, stay, it was that guy who stay tuned for that chief of the Unite Emery fan club, I think, as well. Uh, don't 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 talk to me about that. I'm not getting involved in that one. Uh, but Nottingham Forest, I'm quite happy to cheer every goal they score. And you should Which have seen not me on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Right, you should have seen me on Saturday afternoon. They're winning one 0 in the 85th minute. I'm going, come on, come on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is I'm not 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 an Forest fan. I'm just desperate for them to get over the line, right? Because I've said that they're going to stay up. I want that prediction to come true, and I know what he's going to say if the if it doesn't. So this is all banter related. Um, but when Wolves score the goal, it puts me in a mood for the rest <laughs> of the night, right? So Wolves score the goal five minutes before the end of uh, full time. I then go and watch Chelsea, who are absolutely dreadful, okay? And the rest of my night is just like the worst. I hated it. I hated Saturday. Saturday was terrible, terrible day. I went to bed at 10 o'clock on Saturday night because I just had enough of, uh, of disappointment. Um, on the subject that game, of bold by the way, predictions, by the way, I've just looked at the, the script that producer Jeremy has put together. You, you moved on from the Bournemouth game quite quickly because one of his headlines under that match is Crookie's call for Bournemouth to stay up looking inspired. Funnily enough, you didn't read that. I, I'm, I'm, what I'm really pleased about is that after 51 minutes of the podcast, you've actually looked at the running order. <laughs> Always an answer. It's just him looking for his <laughs> Unbelievable. name. That's all it is. He's not looking at the running order. Yeah, he defends <laughs> better than Novak Djokovic, this fella, honestly. <laughs> West Ham against Newcastle is on TalkSport 2 at the same time we could have talked about Brentford and the fact that by the way they uh, absolutely outplayed Manchester United down at uh, the GTEC Community Stadium earlier in the season in an unbelievable show of strength and maybe this might be the right time to play Manchester United at Old Trafford as well they're on a terrific run but as Crook said we'll let him do the stats because he's actually done some research for that game uh, West Ham against Newcastle, Talk Sport 2. Uh, West Ham, oh, God, it was really sticky against Southampton. I mean, I actually thought Southampton were negligent in the fact that they didn't go for it a little bit more in that match because West Ham were there for the Yeah, massive win. Um, and David Moyes admitted afterwards the performance wasn't great, but they did enough. And that's all you have to do at this stage. I, I do think... That squad's in the classic too good to go down category. Um, but they, you know, the home form's gonna get them out of trouble. If you look at their results actually against lower half teams at home, they're pretty good. You, you know, they are they're not always playing well, but actually they do tend to win those games. They turned into 1970s Brazil for a quarter of an hour against Forest the other week. Uh, it was a really strange <laughs> performance that was. Took them a long time to score in that game. Though. Yeah, but once they did, suddenly it was like they were just like something out of Hotshot Hamish or Roy of the Rovers. It was very strange. So 
Yeah, that's what a reference. Oh for yeah, all the teenagers will get that one. Yeah, yeah. Hotshot Hamish really big on TikTok. <laughs> I've heard. So yeah, let, 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 just to let you know, Kev. Not even me and Crook Hotshot know Hamish what you're talking about. Brit- totally no, over my head, and he's really old. Cartoon. No, we don't know what you're talking about. It was comic. It was Hotshot Hamish. But anyway, yeah. Let's just say it's niche. Yeah. It's a niche reference there. Um, talking of niche, Lucas Paqueta signed in the summer. Big plaudits. A lot of people saying, you know, this guy's going to be fantastic. How have they turned a very creative midfield player who was actually you know, very skillful and silky during the World Cup for Brazil into a dog of <laughs> He's war? He's always had that in him. They've turned him into David Batty, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. He's always had that in him, Paqueta. What's he, going on? He likes the challenge. That's why Brazil were quite happy to give him a lot of responsibility in that midfield. But... Yeah, it'd be nice to see a bit more of the Samba style, should we say, from Pakitara at some stage. Kev's right about like West a... Ham's record um, at home. I think 80% of their points have come at home, tend to beat the teams in the yes. bottom half of the table. Two wins yeah. from 13 against teams in the top half uh, of the table. If they play as poorly as they did at the weekend, if Newcastle produce anywhere near the kind of performance they did on Sunday, this is a comfortable away win. Well, if Newcastle, you know, continue the way that they have been playing recently, their reaction to the Carabao Cup defeat has been superb. Isaac, as we've mentioned, sensational. He's such great um, vision. That ball that he plays down the, the the right channel that creates the opening goal in the game is just absolutely superb. He, he is a he's a real fine. Gumarez as well been brilliant for them over the course of the season and Eddie Howe actually has developed a little bit of spice as well because he was pretty upset with Eric Ten Hag's comments prior to the Carabao Cup in which he said right Ten Hag that this is a team that time wastes uh this is a team that delay they're annoying to play against and Eddie Howe was waiting desperate for someone to bring that up in the post-match press conference they did have a bit of a flare-up but Eddie Howe, this is like going, you know, full Abdullah Decore. He, he had a very stern word with Eric Ten Hag. That's like him going over the line. That's that's him going Red Ross. Um, but after the game, he did want to defend his team and suggest that they wanted the ball in play. And it was Manchester United that were were wasting time and taking time over their goal kicks early in, in, in the match. So, you know, there's a little bit of steel being shown from Eddie Howe, which, again, going back to the Graham Potter argument, right? You need that. You need that. You need to show that every now and again. That is something that maybe Eddie Howe's been accused of in the past, being too nice. And actually, you know, we we, we know from experience that's not entirely true. Say but, he's not, is you he? know, Graham Potter... <laughs> huh? He's not, no. no. He's not too nice. There's no way. I mean, just ask Ryan Fraser. Uh, how was that seat done at Bournemouth, mate? <laughs> There's countless incidents of Eddie Howe showing his steely streak. He is he is a, a, a much steelier character than Graham Potter. I actually think Graham Potter is as well. Um, to be honest, but again, do you just struggled to show we it? We needed time. Oh no, we're not going to do this again. No, I, I was going to get on. I was going to brace to Potter's defence. You're going to say he needed time. Unfortunately, we've <laughs> run out of uh, that yeah. particular commodity uh, because uh, we had. We even had to skate past uh, Crook's prediction of uh, Bournemouth staying that was up. Shame. That was on the cherries, by the way. But, there's, there's, there's nine team, There's nine teams at the bottom, and you've said that one are going to stay up, and they might. We don't know. We still don't know. We're not going to give you credit for something that hasn't happened yet, by the way. Um, loads of football this week on TalkSport. April is a busy month. 50 live games over the course of the uh, month of April. Leeds United against Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth against Brighton, Leicester against Aston Villa, Chelsea against Liverpool, Manchester United against Brentford, West Ham against Newcastle. How are they all on the TalkSport network, I hear you say? Well, TalkSport 2, the TalkSport app, and TalkSport exclusive. Just download our app. You can flick between the two stations and you can get all of the live games this midweek. Plus, you can hear all these fantastic podcasts like the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. We'll be back when? When are we coming back? Is it Thursday or Friday? It's got to be Thursday, right? Uh, We'll be on Thursday, so you've got a preview for the uh, weekend and uh, we'll get uh, into all the big action from Saturday and Sunday. Where are you Saturday and Sunday? Uh, Alex, where are you going Saturday and Sunday? Uh, I am at Southampton, Manchester City on Saturday and uh, I will be at TalkSport Towers on Sunday for the boot room reacting to all the big games from the weekend. Okay, uh, Kev, where are you going? Uh, for uh, TalkSport on Friday, so looking forward to that. And then on Saturday, uh, back in the Bundesliga title race, Dortmund against Union Berlin. Uh, good stuff. I'm going to... 
um, Chelsea, then Manchester United, Brentford, and then Manchester United, Everton. Crook, that's going to be a big game at the weekend. Can't wait to preview that one. Make sure you've done your stats. Um, We'll be back on Thursday afternoon. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.